Morning. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you that you are here with us right now. Thank you that you're a God who loves us and you love to speak to us. Um, And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, speak directly into our lives and help us to be open to receive what you want to say. Amen. So our theme for this morning is what should go into an upbringing. And as we start out, I think I might know what some of you are thinking. You're quite possibly thinking, why on earth am I the one up here giving this talk? Um, And to be honest, I do understand that, if that's what you're thinking, I kind of get that. Like, how can someone who doesn't have their own children give a talk about what should go into an upbringing? But a few months ago, I found myself offering to give this talk, maybe surprisingly to me, um, and I knew it would be a bit of a different angle to what was expected. But I guess, as I've been a youth pastor now for 13 years, um, and I've spent lots of hours with young people, I've come to realise that there just are so many people involved in the upbringing of a child or a young person. And, And obviously, as a youth pastor, it's one of my greatest privileges to be part of that. So as we begin today, I want to give you a very quick challenge. I'd like you to talk to the person next to you, and I want you together, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you together to list as many different types of people as possible that are involved in the upbringing of a child, and I want you to count them, um, and we're going to find out how many we got up to. Okay, so about 30 seconds, I'm going to estimate this. Go for it. Okay, I think that's probably been somewhere near 30 seconds, so you can bring your conversations to a close. Okay, does anyone want to shout out how many did you get? 16. 16? 60. 60? Yeah. Wow, okay, that's very impressive. Okay, anyone else? Get anywhere near that? 10? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. I'm sh- Oh, I see. Oh, okay, I see, I see. Okay. Love it. Okay, well, when you really start to think about it, there are so many people involved in an upbringing, aren't there? So the types of people that I was thinking about were obviously parents, carers, grandparents, aunties, uncles, godparents, teachers, youth workers, uniformed organization leaders, vicars, social workers, mentors, therapists, sports coaches, music teachers, next-door neighbors, family, friends, and really the list does go on and on. Um, So our starting point today is this. Um, You may not have thought about it much before or even realised it, but it's highly likely that in some way you are involved in the upbringing of a child or a young person. Um, And so this talk today is not just for the parents in the room, it is for you, um, but it's for absolutely everyone. Um, And we're going to start by watching a short clip. So, how about you, Vi? How's school? Nothing to report. You've hardly touched your food. I'm not hungry for meatloaf. Well, it is leftover night. We have steak, pasta. What are you hungry for? Tony Reidinger. Shut up. Well, you are. I said shut up, you little insect. Well, she is. Do not shout at the table. Honey? Kids, listen to your mother. 
she'd eat if we were having Tony loaf. That's it! Hey! Stop it! Stop it! Simon J. Palladino, longtime advocate of superhero rights, is missing. Gazer Beam. Bob, it's time to engage! Do something! Don't just stand there! I need you to intervene! You want me to intervene? Okay, I'm intervening! I'm intervening! Sister Violet, let go of your brother! So, <laughs> I think... I think that we can all agree that raising children and young people is not without its challenges. Now, sometimes they might provide some challenges, um, but I think it's also fair to say um, that they're growing up in very, very challenging times. So, whilst for many of us in the room, the person that might have bullied us at school could only get to us at school, um, for our young people today, the person that bullies them at school can get to them literally wherever they are without limits via their phone. That's very, very difficult. Um, they're growing up in the digital age, so they're intensely connected, um, yet quite a few are lonely. I notice that there are quite a few that are struggling with mental health problems. Um, and they're growing up in a mostly non-Christian culture, so it's very different to be someone that's growing up with faith in Jesus and living that out. Um, the majority of young people don't know God, don't care, or don't believe. And so that's what they're growing up in. And in the midst of all of this, the world has got some opinions to share on what should go into an upbringing. Um, so the world tells us things like we should be raising our kids to set them up for success. So great exam grades, high-flying jobs, big salaries, nice houses, um, fancy possessions, all of that type of thing. And the world tells us to raise kids to be whatever they want to be, to go wherever they want to go, to believe whatever they want to believe. And it's really hard to navigate all of that, um, but thankfully the Bible has some wisdom um, for us, and so we're going to kind of dive into that this morning. Um, so we've got three passages today. I'm going to share about two of them, and then Abby is going to share in the middle um, about one of them. So we're going to start in Hebrews. So in just five verses of this passage that we heard, the word discipline is mentioned eight times. Um, I wonder how you felt when you heard that word, like as you heard that passage being read. Um, maybe some of these words on the screen um, came to mind for you as you heard it. However, the thing that I pulled out of this passage as I was kind of getting ready for this talk is that discipline is actually a really good thing. Um, the passage tells us that discipline produces a peaceful harvest of right living. That's the NLT version of the Bible. Peaceful harvest of right living. If we get discipline right, it'll help our kids to live right. So I think it's fair to say that discipline should be part of an upbringing. But then I did start to think, okay, fine, yeah, but what actually is discipline? Um, well, lots of you will know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Um, and the word that we've translated um, into discipline in English, um, the original word used here was paideia, which you can see on the screen. And there's actually lots of elements to this word, but one element, as you might expect, is about correction. Um, so it's like when we fall short of God's will, we can expect him to discipline us. And that sounds a little bit scary to me, um, but what I've found is it's actually more this sense that the Father loves us so much that he wants to pull us back onto the right path in life. 
Um, and so for us too, we get to follow that example um, of his. And it's about lovingly pulling our kids back to the right path in life. Um, for a little bit of context, this book of Hebrews was written to Jews who'd converted to Christianity, um, but they were thinking of going back to Judaism. Um, they, were get, they were kind of getting distracted by all these big like, concepts, and so this letter was written to them to tell them to fix their eyes on Jesus. It was about how Jesus is greater than any of those things. He's the one who died for them so that they could live, um, and so it was written to kind of get them like fixed on Jesus. In a similar way, um, there's going to be loads of things, aren't there, that will tempt our young people away um, or distract them from Jesus. Um, A bit like the muck on the windscreen of this car. When there's muck on the windscreen of a car, the driver cannot see um, clearly, and in the end, they'll go out of lane and then in the complete wrong direction at some point. When we allow distractions into our life and sins and we kind of like go with those temptations, they restrict our view of Jesus um, and they mean that in the end we'll end up going in the wrong direction too. But as people who are involved in the upbringing of a child, our role is to help them go the right direction in life. It's to help them get rid of the muck so that they can see Jesus clearly. And just like the author of Hebrews did, we get to say, fix your eyes on Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. And we also get to show them, like, practically, what does that look like? Like, how do they do that? So beyond all of that, this word paideia, it also incorporates education, learning, training, and development. And I also learned that it's about cultivating the soul. Um, And that kind of got me thinking that this word discipline that we've heard lots of times is really similar to the word disciple, which is about being a student and a follower of Jesus and becoming more and more like him. Ultimately, then... The um, discipline is about the whole training and education of a child. But this morning, just a little, we're going to have a little reflection time here um, before kind of Abby comes up um, to share. Just want to encourage you to think about how could you play a part in a child's journey of them getting to know Jesus? Like, what would that look like for you? Have a little think about that, and then Abby is going to come up and share. I've been asked to talk about Proverbs 22.6. Dedicate your children to God and point them in the way they should go and the, val- and the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. In this verse, the word dedicate or hanak in its original translation is used to depict the teachings of spiritual disciplines like accountability with other Christians, reading the Bible and prayer. For me, these have been important staples in my life, often praying at church or with my parents every night and when I was younger, reading the Bible at bedtime. Developing those spiritual disciplines was so important for me as a young Christian as it provided the roots for the development of my own faith. As a teenager in today's society, the values that Proverbs 22.6 talks about are certainly not the norm in a culture that does not follow what this verse calls the way, a life dedicated to holiness and integrity. I can personally say that many of my closest friends are atheist, and there is no issue with this, we will almost certainly prioritize different things. For example, for me, church will come higher on my priorities than going out with my friends on a Sunday morning. Going against what is seen as normal is sure to cause conflict with people who do not understand my beliefs or why they're so important to me. This, for many teenage Christians, can be very hard. 
and at times they may wander off the path. A couple of weeks ago, me and my family went on one of those rentable boats. When it was my turn to row, I discovered very quickly that rowing is not as easy as it looks. I was rowing as best as I could, trying to go forwards, but all I managed to do was make us drift further and further towards the wall on the side of the riverbank. Eventually, we reached the wall and we went into the bush. Mad was trying to give me advice on how to row, which on reflection, I probably should have listened to. <laughs> but I was determined to do it myself, my way. So after being stuck in a bush for a few minutes and receiving many branches in my face, we made it out of the bush and subsequently into another bush, at which point I decided it might be time to accept some help. I could have avoided so much bother and spiders if I had just accepted help in the first place. And it's only by being accountable and open that I was able to be helped. This reminded me that we all need help at times, but it can be difficult to admit that we're struggling and ask for help or advice, especially from those close to us. This speaks loudly about the importance of openness and the spiritual discipline of accountability, so that if young Christians find themselves straying from the path, they can openly say so and ask for help judgment-free. Of course, these principles are not only applicable in parent-child relationships, but in other relationships through the church. For example, I'm mentored by Abby, and we often read the Bible and pray together when we meet. As well as this, she keeps me accountable with reading the Bible throughout the week by asking questions and helping me put aside time. For example, a week ago, a while ago rather, we read through bits of Romans together, then talked about challenging verses and bits that stuck out. In other words, being a young Christian can be really difficult at times, but church family makes it a lot easier. Thanks, Abby. There's lots of wisdom there. So, moving on to our Joshua passage. Um, I don't know if this came to mind for anyone else when you heard this passage. This is genuinely what came to mind when I heard this passage. Apparently, this is called Atlas Stones um, from the world's strongest man. But um, anyway, I digress. Um, at this point in time, the Israelites had just witnessed a miracle. So God had parted the River Jordan, and they had walked through the river on dry ground through to the Promised Land. Now, if I was an Israelite, I was kind of thinking, like, how would they feel at this point? And I think if I was an Israelite, I'd be thinking, right, we've got stuff to do. We need to get on with it. We need to conquer Jericho. Let's go. But God is not in a hurry. Um, and God's like, no, that's not what we're going to do right now. He says, before you do anything else, you need to take these 12 stones from the middle of the river and you need to make a memorial. And the idea was that in the future, um, parents, like their kids would come to, sorry, kids would come to their parents and they'd be like, dad, dad, what are those weird stones over there? And it would provide this opportunity for them to share about the amazing things that God had done that these stones represented. And this all got me thinking that just like the Israelites had stuff that they probably wanted to get on with, like life with kids and young people is full of stuff and it's busy and there's always things to do. Um, there's things like birthday parties and exams and university applications and schools and appointments and, and all sorts. And on top of that, whilst you might think that once the Israelites got to the promised land, they'd find a place of peace, what they actually found was a place of battle. Um, and maybe raising kids can feel a little bit like a place of battle at times too. But I felt like God, what God was saying through this passage is that like he did, we get to be that person who says you need to take a moment and just stop. Like before all the rest of the stuff, just stop and prioritize God first above everything else. 
And also, it's our role to make them aware of what God has, of what God has done and what he is doing, um, and just let them know that he's alive and that he's relevant today and that he's working. Um, you know, uh, we've been going over to the skate park recently, um, and it's kind of obvious that a lot of the young people that are over there, they, they just don't have any idea that God might be relevant to them today. But we get this amazing opportunity to tell them that he is, and he wants to be part of their life. So, we've discovered that these three things go into an upbringing. Discipline, encouraging kids to be disciples. Direction, helping them to avoid distractions and saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then declaration, telling them about what God has done and what he is doing. Which is all great, Um, but practically, like, what does that look like? So I thought what I would do is ask some of the young people to share um, what their thoughts are on this, because they will have some helpful wisdom. Um, So here are some of their answers. And the ones that I say their names, I've asked if I can say their name. So Elliot said, my parents answer really hard questions and don't dismiss them. If they don't know, they ask people that do. These questions I have asked, looking back, are sometimes embarrassing, tricky, or weird, but they always help me understand. I love that. Um, and I think, as well, you don't have to be a parent to be that person. Um, you know, you can, if you don't have your own kids, you can also encourage um, a young person in that way. Ruby said, Make church a home by introducing yourself to young people, so all of the church speaks to each other, especially for those without family there. Elia said, have Costa meetings with a young person to do mentoring. Encourage them to do Bible plans with others on version, or maybe do one with them yourself. Encourage them to get involved with the church, like use their gifts and start to serve. Um, and invite them to summer camps. These are amazing times away that we get just to focus on God, and um, it's a really powerful time. Kira said, help me understand that it's okay to have questions about my faith. Not be judgmental or overly pushy. Make the church feel homely, that word again, home, um, and a place where I can speak to anyone freely. Helena said, be consistent, be encouraging and supportive, and be there to point them on the right path if they wander. Some other thoughts were, take them to church. Seems obvious, doesn't it? But there's a girl in our youth group who um, her parents, like when she was a child, um, her parents weren't regularly attending church, so a family friend was the one that took her every week. So maybe we can be that person. Read the Bible together, make it fun, have discussions about it, give them a devotional book. I thought they were great suggestions. On top of them, a couple of things that came to mind for me. Kind of picking up on what Elia said about mentoring. Maybe you feel you could disciple a young person. Um, I'm not going to dwell too much on that because there's going to be a talk about discipleship next week at church. Um, And when I'm organizing this with young people, I always let them take the lead. And I ask them, like, who would you feel comfortable with to be your mentor? But it's always great to know, like, who is willing to meet consistently with a young person and take that role of supporting and and encouraging them and helping them get that step further, like, on their journey with Jesus. So let me know if that might be you and you just never know what might happen in the future. Um, My second suggestion is very simply to be yourself, lead by example, um, live out your faith in Jesus by putting him first. That will affect every aspect of your life. It will affect relationships, the way that you do your work. It will affect how you respond to difficult things in life, how you respond to challenging people, all sorts of things. And I found young people and kids, they're watching. They're watching how we deal with stuff. So just let them be part of your life, like take them along on your everyday, ordinary life, and let them see how your faith impacts it.
Next, um, maybe you have ideas on how we can make the church a home for children and young people, like Ruby said and like Kira said. Um, at the moment, we do some really intentional things, like we have toy bags for kids and we have flags in the worship sometimes. and We have a youth room for our young people, youth apprenticeships for young people to discover their gifts and um, get to know the wider church. But maybe you've got your own ideas. Like we would love to know what those ideas are. Maybe you can simply be that friendly face who goes to say hi. Um, as Ruby said, like, they do want you to talk to them. Maybe they don't always have the confidence to approach you, um, but it always means a lot if you talk to them. And then finally, my last kind of thought um, is one of the best things we can do is to encourage our kids and young people to hang out with church friends outside of church activities. Um, and that could be as simple as invite them for a meal, like if you've got kids, invite them around for a meal with you or just to play some games. If you don't have kids, it'd just be encourage them to do this. Um, but really, this allows them to build a friendship outside of church so that when they come to church, they've got that friendly face there. I don't know about you, but I find that like most people, regardless of age, don't necessarily want to come to church if they don't know anyone, if they don't like have any friends here. Um, but I find that once they've got that friendly face, once they've got someone here that they know, um, it's a great environment for them to start to meet with Jesus um, and to learn to follow him. So I hope there's some helpful ideas there. Um, I kind of have to say, like, as I reflect on that list, I think I'm encouraged because these are things that anyone can do. They're really just about making ourselves available. So I want to encourage you to think about, like, what is your place within all of this? What could this look like for you? Now, as I start to finish, <laughs> um, I'm kind of, I've been aware this week, just as I've been like, writing this talk, that there might be some people here who are thinking, I tried all of this, like, I did everything right, I've really tried to raise kids or kids that I, like, kids that I know up to know Jesus um, and to follow him, but that's not what's happening right now, they're not following him. And of course, like, there's no easy answer for that. There's no sort of few words that I can share right now just to kind of like magically make that all better. Um, and I can relate to this as well because like, I can think of young people that have grown up in our youth ministry who are not necessarily following him right now. And so I think that all I can do right now is know that we've sowed the right seeds and trust that the Holy Spirit is the one that changes hearts. It's not us. And so we sort of trust in his perfect timing, which quite often is different to what we would like it to be. Um, and in the meantime, we commit to praying for them regularly. We love them with all that we've got. And we trust that Jesus is there willing to just take them back, that he's willing to like run to them and take them into his arms of love as soon as they want to return to him, just like in this picture. So to end... Um, I just want to encourage you that you have your own unique and vital role to play in the upbringing of children and young people. And I'm going to finish with some words, actually, from an article that I read online. It seems like quite a random article that I just found, but the words I thought just spoke very much into this. Um, so I'm going to finish by reading these, and then we're going to pray together. It takes a church to raise a child. Parenting is so difficult, so complex, so relentless that it's more than any two people can successfully handle. Children thrive under the responsibility of loving parents, but also under the watchful eye of a caring community. This is about inviting others to provide input into the development of a child's character. It invites others to take an active interest in them, to speak to them, to challenge them, to counsel them, to befriend them, to love them. 
It invites other believers to ask my children about their faith and their fears, their trials and their temptations, their dramas and their doubts. It invites other Christians to exert a significant influence on them and all for their good and for God's glory. It takes a church to raise a child because it's in the church that our children find a whole community of adults who love them, who have a deep concern for them and who are eager to see them come to faith and grow in godly character. I love that. We get to be that community for people, for families, um, and I'm really excited by that. So we're going to pray together now, um, and we're just going to see what God wants to do.